Welcome to the SCMS Classical Conversation podcast, taped live at the Seattle Chamber Music Society's 2020 Winter Festival. I'm Dave Beck. I hope you enjoy these in-depth conversations with festival musicians. You can find more episodes at seattlechambermusic.org and at king.org and most podcasting platforms. Please rate and review us wherever you listen. Violinist Andrew Wan is recording the violin sonatas of Beethoven on the occasion of the composer's 250th birth anniversary. During the 2020 SCMS Winter Festival, Andrew spoke about how his meticulous attention to detail in preparing Beethoven makes for performances of remarkable freedom and spontaneity. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Dave Beck from Classical King FM 98.1 in Seattle, bringing you another Classical Conversations podcast in collaboration with the Seattle Chamber Music Society. This is the latest in dozens of conversations with festival artists we've had the honor of participating in over the last several years. We're here in the Founders Room at Benaroya Hall on January 24th, 2020, as we begin the second and final week of the SCMS Winter Festival. The artist who joins us today is heard in the theme music that we use for this podcast. It's a brilliant performance of the Mendelssohn Octet Scherzo Movement featuring Seattle Chamber Music Society artists. I'm happy to say that if you go back to our podcast archives, you will hear all eight of these players interviewed. They are James Ennis, Aaron Keefe, and Augustine Hadelik violins, Cynthia Phelps and Richard O'Neill violas, Robert Demain and Edward Aaron cellos. Today we meet the eighth member of that stellar recording of Mendelssohn. He is violinist Andrew Wan. Since 2008, Andrew has been the concertmaster of the Montreal Symphony Orchestra. He's been associated with SCMS for about a decade. His many solo and chamber music recordings with ensembles like Canada's New Orford Quartet have earned Grammy and Juno Award nominations. He's here to play Ravel, Grieg, and Bach in Seattle this week. Please welcome Andrew Wan for our latest classical conversation. Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming. So nice to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, am I right? Since 2010, that's your first association with the festival? Exactly. That was my first summer. Uh, how was it that you came to perform here? Uh, so back then, uh, Toby Sachs was still the artistic director. And uh, I think people find this hard to imagine because there is a, quite a strong Canadian connection at this festival now because of James Ennis. But uh, James Ennis didn't know who I was. Uh, I had just started the job. Uh, he hadn't come to the Montreal Symphony to solo since I had been there, um, but I grew up idolizing him. I still do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember growing up in Edmonton, Alberta, one of the most transformative concerto performances I ever heard was James Ennis playing the Cacheturian Concerto. Wow. And I had gotten a last minute ticket and I sat in like the third row and I was completely blown away by this guy. And uh, I went backstage and I met him, of course he doesn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but prior to my coming to the festival, uh, Scott Yu, violinist, conductor, a good friend of mine, he heard me play with a piano trio in New York. And uh, he came up to me afterwards and he asked me if I would be interested in uh, coming here as an artist. And I said, yeah, I think I would really enjoy that. <laughs> and he convinced Toby Sachs to give me a couple weeks to try out. And I just had a really fantastic time. And I've been coming every summer and a couple winter festivals since then. Yeah. Well. So uh, 
what do, what do you remember of recording that Mendelssohn octet that I was talking about? Because that was one of the first, must have been one of the first things you did here. Yeah, that was in my second week of being here in my first summer. I just was trying not to uh, screw up any takes for anybody. <laughs> you know, I w- was kind of in awe of everybody. I had known a few members of that group, uh, Aaron Keefe I went to school with, uh, Augustine I went to school with, um, but I was pretty wide-eyed and, and quite intimidated. Um, it's, it's kind of a live recording. It's not a studio recording. So the concert was uh, recorded live. So it was a really kind of stressful affair for me. And then after the concert left, after the audience had cleared the building, uh, we stayed for about an hour and a half and did a patch session where the producer kind of asked us um, to just redo some parts so that he could splice it in. And I'm really uh, super proud of that recording. I don't have a, like a... Of course, the main feature is James Ennis. The pairing is with the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto. I play the third violin in the octet, so it's not exactly a prominent role, but I'm very proud to be a part of that recording. I'm very excited that I'm on that roster with all these people. Yeah, it's a fantastic recording. Just so we know uh, what we're talking about here, let's start with that example. This is this 2010 recording of the Mendelssohn Octet. about the same time when the cellos started growling there. For <laughs> yeah. The way the cellos come out of the gate in that movement yeah, is always on, so thrilling. That's a really nice recording. It's Usually <laughs> I have an, a very difficult time listening to uh, recordings of myself. I'm sure we can all relate, like looking at old photos and you're, you're thinking, oh, what am I wearing? Or, you know, <laughs> I, I listened to um, this roundtable talk of uh, actors that got nominated for the Academy Awards, and a couple of them... Uh, expressed um, the same sentiment that it's just so hard to revisit your old work yeah. you know because it's always this feeling of what could have been or you remember like the feelings of anxiety and stress from that period and it's just best like right. let it go so yeah. next time you play a recording I'm going to leave the room okay. <laughs> you can just put your hand over your yeah. ears and we'll, um, yeah so when you listen to that um, talking about just the music in general what, people love String players love to get together and play through that Mendelssohn. You know, a lot of yeah. times we make a big mess of it. But, but what is so attractive and appealing about this music? Well, 
surely the first violin part is you know a heroic kind of statement but it's very well supported by the seven other parts and they all have um, kind of significant roles to play thematically but also uh, in terms of like musical instigation so we're like serving as ignition for the first violin and I think that recording uh, actually since it's by dint of the fact that it's a live recording there is that kind of spark that's harder to capture uh, in in a in a studio setting um, so that piece actually it's it's very easy to get very excited because it's basically every tune even a fast movement like that every every tune is hummable and I guess you could say that about <laughs> about Mendelssohn but it's a very satisfyingly constructed piece and structurally it just makes sense you know these build-ups are going to lead to something quite satisfying and um, usually uh, chamber music uh, for this kind of arrangement with, with let's say more than five six players it usually can sound like cacophonous you know just too much stuff going on um, but the textures are such that um, it's written in such a way that it's very uh, well balanced and it's really fun and it's easy to get into. Yeah, there and then that section that it was just going into at the end there is just the epitome of Mendelssohn. That that you know the scherzo sound, yeah. that you know the elfin sound that they yeah. always talk about, which you would encounter in in chamber music and in orchestral. You know, yeah. with all the playing you do, you yeah. in, encounter those Mendelssohnian moments. Absolutely, yeah. And just to do it with. Uh, panache and finesse and kind of nonchalance all the time that's what makes it very difficult it seems very simple yeah. but when you're nervous and you have an audience in front of you you want to execute with kind of like a, a lightness of touch and it's very difficult yeah well brilliant and uh, it's always a thrill when we uh, introduce these programs to have that music um, playing nice um, you've recorded uh, or you can tell me where you are in this process but you're recording all of the Beethoven violin sonatas yeah yeah and uh Wonderful collaborator by the name of Charles Richard Amelin. Um, tell me about this project, kind of where you are in it. And, yeah. Uh, so uh, Charles Richard Amelin, uh, no relation to um, Marc-André uh, Amelin, who is a very famous Quebecois pianist. Uh, but Charles Richard Amelin is, in his own right, uh, actually, for, for me, just one of the most fantastic uh, pianists that I've ever had a chance to collaborate with. And I'm very fortunate to have this very privileged relationship where we uh, we both live in Montreal. He comes from a very small town outside of Montreal called Joliet, um, but he his career has completely exploded. He got second place in the Chopin competition in Poland, and uh, he is in a superstar in Canada and uh, beyond. Um, and we've just totally hit it off. And three years ago we had this idea that we should collaborate on this project and learn the Beethoven sonatas together culminating in uh, our final recording being released in 2020. This is the 250th anniversary of Beethoven's birth. Um, and we've recorded two discs already. The first one came out and, you know, it was a really kind of daunting affair because it seemed like a good idea at the time, but as we were editing it and, you know, getting ready for its release, I got cold feet and I was thinking, there's just so many good recordings of this. What are we doing? And then, of course, at the same time, James Ennis and Andy Armstrong recorded <laughs> number six and nine, and I, I almost pulled the plug on the project. Wow. I haven't told James this, um, but uh, there are, amongst that and many other recordings, just many examples of how it can be played so beautifully. But we worked really hard, and uh, I'm happy to say that we're proud of what we've done so far. Our first disc got nominated for the Canadian equivalent of the Grammys, uh, the Junos. 
And so that was, you know, just like a nice little feather in our caps um, that we, you know, what we were doing uh, was like had some kind of validity. <laughs> you know, people liked it. And, um, you know, our approach is very much um, quite studious, uh, quite planned, quite, um, uh, we, we argue over the smallest minute details to make sure that all of our decisions are, uh, are well informed. And then we work so hard at that kind of approach that when it comes to the performance, it's, it's actually paradoxically a very freeing kind of mm -hmm. um, right. result because we have, we know what's going to happen that we don't have to be making last minute decisions on the spot. And then, and then because we know we've gone through all of like the permutations of how our interpretation can kind of go, uh, it's actually a very flexible kind of collaboration. And I think, yeah, I'm, we're so happy with that. Yeah. And over time, so we've just started working on our last uh, set of sonatas, number four and number nine and number 10. And our approach has become even more focused. And um, and yeah, I'm quite proud of it. What a, what a joy to have an ongoing uh, collaboration like that, to, oh, be, yeah. to be able to you know put it away, return. Yeah. Um, spend time editing and and as you say i i think it was i don't know if it's toby that told me this but um uh one i, I studied with a couple of um teachers who worked with leonard rose and you know rose would just methodically go over everything and you just you know just analyze everything to death and he'd say at the last lesson before a, a recital or performance like forget everything i've said now and just go out and play yeah that's it i don't i i wonder if some of you can relate to this that sometimes when you know you're Treated with a stressful situation where you have to do some public speaking, or, or if you, if you, any of you guys are musicians yourselves and you perform, uh, this is not a unique uh, experience. But if you if you feel kind of stressed out, there's your mind starts racing, and you think, oh, what am I going to do next? And then there is a certain amount of catastrophe <laughs> that uh, occurs as a result of that. And I think we found this way to kind of combat that, that that there are um, avenues that we can kind of access if ever there's you know a moment of anxiety and that sort mm -hmm. of thing and it works really well with music that is so beautifully constructed and logical and, mm -hmm. and that's how I would uh, describe Beethoven sonatas here's a little bit from the seventh sonata in C major for violin and piano by Beethoven uh, Andrews playing the violin here How does how does that particular exchange between the instruments there um, kind of remind you what's most distinctive and 
satisfying about Beethoven's you know, sound and style and approach. Yeah. That particular uh, movement from this sonata, uh, this, is, this is the seventh sonata in C minor, um, is kind of uh, very representative of his kind of angst-ridden uh, kind of C minor, C minor. S- statement. Fourth, Opus 18, yeah, Fifth Symphony. Fifth Symphony these... And, you know, other composers that came after that, you know, you just couldn't compose a piece in C minor without thinking about <laughs> Beethoven, that there is this intense amount of struggle um, against the forces that be, and then, you know, how he, you represent um, kind of like conquering of sorts is, you know, delving into C major, and that can be a very uh, satisfying moment. Uh, in that piece, I mean, as you heard, you know, the the even the rests are very um, tightly wound, that we, we're making sure that there's not a release of tension, because it's either many notes that you're hearing or complete silence, so we're counting quite um, ferociously during those rests, and I think that kind of is emblematic for the sonata and, and actually representative, represented uh, like this in a few other sonatas, like the ninth the Kreutzer Sonata, the fourth sonata in A minor as well. Um, that's not to say that uh, we, we don't hear Beethoven as a, a poet and you know someone who gets lost in you know his dreams and that sort of thing, but I, I think certain works especially those in C minor are are representing someone who is um, quite anxious. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Classical Conversation podcast. This podcast is a co-production of Seattle Chamber Music Society and King FM. Bill Levy is our recording engineer. The show is produced by Nikhil Sarma and co-produced by Daisha Clay. To learn more, go to seattlechambermusic.org or to king.org. 